welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Praise the Lord. I just want to, before I start again, thank you for your kindness. It is greatly appreciated. And uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your church. I'm thankful for what God's doing. And I believe I am here on time at the right time, ordained by God, even though I tried to get here three years ago. Uh, I believe the timing is right. And uh, I'm glad you're here as well. Let me thank you in advance for your willingness to allow me to share as long as I need or feel led to share. I won't abuse that that privilege, but it's a blessing knowing you have that kind of heart for the things of God. Years ago, I was in a church and about a hundred and I found out later there was 125 people there because I thought it was amazing that I went for about an hour and a half. And for most people, I mean, that's a long time. So, And I just wasn't done. And so I said, you know, look, I, I'm just going to have to stop. And, uh, of course, they knew I wouldn't be able to come back for a long time because of traveling and everything. And so uh, everybody started saying, go on, go on. And so I said, well, let's just vote. And everybody raised their hand to keep going. So I went, I went to two hours. And then I thought, man, this is abusive. And so I said, uh, how many of you want me to just keep going? Because, I mean, I'm not through. And all of them raised their hand again. Then at two and a half, same thing. We voted again. At three hours, I was tired and wanted to go home. (laughs) And so I was trying to end and I wasn't going to take a vote. And I just said, look, I don't want to end on a negative note. I was on a negative note. And I don't believe in ending on a negative note. And so I just said that out loud, man, I've got to end and I don't want to end though on a negative note. And a guy on the front row right to my left hollered out at me. We don't care if it's negative or positive, just end. (laughs) So I do believe (laughs) that there is a point where you just can't take anymore. Amen. Father, we just love you and we thank you for this sanctified time. This is precious time. This place is a sanctuary, I believe, Father, and that you are working mightily in our hearts, in our lives, in our city. And I believe great things will come out of this house. Thank you for helping me to communicate with accuracy, simplicity and sanity in the things of God. In Jesus name. Amen. Hebrews chapter chapter 12 again. I want to continue talking about the running of our race. And how that God has called us in this hour to great things. And we must be faithful and loyal to Jesus above all other loyalties. And there are things involved in the running of this race. If you don't understand, you will get weary even in well-doing and faint. And we see that throughout the land. So many godly people are weary in trying to do right. In well-doing and they're fainting in their heart. And that's not God's plan or will for you or for me. But his will is that we run our race 
and that we are successful in being a witness to this generation. And so Hebrews chapter 12 kind of sums this up for us. It says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses who are and what is this great cloud of witnesses that are witnessing us running our race. It is the 11th chapter and all the patriarchs and matriarchs of old that ran their race and they were faithful to God. They were loyal to God. And if you read chapter 11, and I just recommend every now and then I do it, just read that chapter. It'll encourage you in your sufferings. It'll encourage you in what you think you're going through that's a hardship when you see what those people went through and how that they endured. And they ran their race and passed the baton down over thousands of years. And it's been passed down to us now. And we must run our race. So he says, don't forget, you didn't start this race. It's thousands of years old. And we have a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin, not sins, the sin, which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Everybody say endured. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured. Everybody say endured. Endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied And faint in your minds. Man, Jesus endured a great fight of afflictions. Jesus endured hardship. Jesus endured rejection and hate. And again, I said this morning, I don't know what Bible people aren't reading. But the culture, when they talk about at large Jesus, they make him out to be this sweet, nice, pacifist that just... Hugged all the women and kissed the babies. And didn't have any opposition. I, I, I think we've forgotten they killed him. They hated him. And it wasn't because he was woke. Amen. It's because he spoke the truth in love. And he was rejected. He was despised. And on and on we could go, and we're supposed to remember and consider Him when all this opposition is coming against us in our race. I don't know if you know it, but you're going upstream in a world going downstream that's in a hurry to get to hell. People are in a hurry to get to hell, and you and I are caught in the middle of this, and we're supposed to be going upstream in a world going downstream. And... You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have trials. You're going to have afflictions. And that's not being negative or not walking and living by faith. And I am tempted to make you sit there for three hours. Because it takes three hours to explain what I believe God's put on my heart to condense into this one session on running our race, he said, with patience. Remember, the sin is duplicity of focus. It's so easy to lose our focus and get it off the kingdom or get it off the king of the kingdom in this race. And we're being inundated with the information revolution. We are being saturated with death and darkness and hate and lies and falsehoods. 
And if you're not careful, you commit the sin that has knocked God's people out of this race for thousands of years. And that's looking unto something besides Jesus. You have to stay focused. Broken focus will cause weariness in your life and you to faint. And so we have to discipline ourselves. I'm not talking about legalism, but I am talking about good habits. I'm talking about disciplines, being a disciple of Jesus, where no matter what's going on, what does God say about that? I'm going to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Remember, Jesus is, according to John 1:14, he's full of grace and truth. So if I'm looking unto Jesus, I'm looking for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world and truth. That's that's running my race. And I'm telling you, many people have gotten out of the race. Good people have gotten out of the race. And then he said, lay aside every weight. We all have to deal personally with things that hold us back. And the weights are different. We all have different weights, but everybody has a weight that kind of bogs them down, holds them back, brings them down. And you just have to learn in your personal walk with Jesus to deal with all these weights. Then he said, you have to run with patience And the word patience is endurance. Endurance. Now, one of the reasons this is difficult in one session is I probably see more confusion over suffering than anything at large in the body of Christ. Over hardships, over trials, over afflictions. God gets accused falsely of a lot of bad things that happen in this world. And that in time leads to weariness and people fainting in their heart. If you believe God is doing all these bad things to you in time, it is difficult to keep running. If you believe God is the author of any death in your life, the author of any sickness, the author of any any pain, and that he's causing things, how do you get close to a guy like that? I grew up in a system where God was falsely accused of every bad thing in our life and that God was doing bad things to teach us things. If that was true, I'd have been the smartest man on the planet, I guarantee you. Because a lot of bad stuff happened to me coming up as a kid and and just in life in general. And God's not doing anything to me bad to teach me something, even though any bad thing that happens to me, God is right there to teach me. Just because God teaches me in the midst of bad things that happen to me doesn't mean he does the bad things. Does that make sense at all? Well, it doesn't in most churches. And yet, people aren't running their race because they think God is the one that's angry with them. God is the one that's punishing them. And on and on we could go with not understanding grace and the truth of the cross and what Jesus has provided for us. Well, again, one of those admonitions here of the three is to run and you have to have patience in this race. You have to endure hardship. Life is hard. Have you figured that out? I'm about convinced life is hard without a devil. How much more with a devil? And then you throw people into the mix. (laughs) Life is hard. (laughs) And it's like everywhere you turn, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to say the right thing, even in love. And bam, you get hit. You get hit. You get smacked. And on and on it goes. And if you don't learn to endure, if you don't understand the power of patience... And how patience works in your life, I promise you, you won't be here a year from now. I guarantee you, if this church is 10 years old, every one of you right now could think of somebody that used to be on the front row. These are the people that love Jesus. 
I better get at least an amen out of you because everybody else is mad at me. Help me out here. They were on the front row praising God, on fire for God. And listen, something bad happened to them. A hardship hit. They got fired. They got a diagnosis of cancer. They, they had a, a spouse leave them. They had a child fall off the cliff in sin. And it devastated and broke their heart. You can find people in every area and sphere of your life that at one point was loving Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and running the race. And they're not in the race anymore. And it comes down to not understanding patience. Not understanding endurance and how that we have to develop. Let me just say this before I dive into this. We are in a culture that is trying to do away with all hardship. All suffering. All problems. And we're literally raising, everybody say, I love Brother Dwayne. We're raising a generation of wimps. And I'm not attacking the young people. Some of you older people have become wimpy as well. People don't even know how to endure a light affliction anymore. People, instead of responding to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, are reacting to hardships in their lives, opposition in their lives, accusations against them. And we're creating literally a culture of of people filled with anger and resentment and bitterness And when you talk to them and find out what their problems are, I'm not trying to be insensitive or mean, but many times I'm going, and that's all that's wrong with you? I'm not saying what somebody did to you was right. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. I'm not saying it hadn't produced some kind of pain in your life. I'm saying, have you read Hebrews chapter 11? These people were sawn asunder. These people were fed to lions. These people were pierced with spears. Amen or oh me. And what's your problem again? Tell me again what your problem is. And you're whining and belly aching, full of anger, bitterness, wrath, resentment. We have to learn to put our big boy pants up or put our big boy, big boy pants on and pull them up and learn to run the race that's set before us. Instead of murmuring about everything, complaining about everything, unthankful, ungrateful, confused, again, even in the church, of what God's righteousness is. Well, that's a lot. I've already thrown out a lot. And that's my introduction. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to... When I leave my body and I meet Jesus, I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that was prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Some of you are going to come out of your body. Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to go, well, you're done. You got fried with the hardships of life. And you didn't know how to trust God. You didn't know how to deal with suffering. And it's so sad what's happened to the church. We... In many of our circles are intent on suffering things Jesus doesn't want us suffering. And that he paid for so we wouldn't have to suffer. But then we don't want to hear nothing about the sufferings that we are to endure. That Jesus endured as an example. Let me just say this. Jesus suffered and died for certain things as a substitute. So you wouldn't have to suffer those things. 
other things, Jesus died as an example for us to follow in Christian suffering. There is Christian suffering. There is hardships and afflictions. So, let's look at some of this and how do we relate to it. Go to Romans now. Romans chapter 5. And this is so powerful. And I did an entire series out of this years ago. And so I just want to highlight whatever the Lord puts on my heart now. But this is awesome on how our faith works. See, a lot of people believe if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be having all your problems. As a matter of fact, when problems come into most Christians' lives, the first thing they hear in their head is, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be suffering this problem. Then I come along, and I'm not very popular, because I tell you, it's because of your faith that you're suffering. It's not the lack of faith. See, I'm preaching now before I share the Scriptures. Some of you just looking at me like a calf at a new gate. It's like, what? I'm suffering because of my faith? Well, then I'm rejecting my faith. Because I don't want to suffer no more. No, you're going to suffer with or without faith. You might as well choose faith and the suffering that comes with faith. Amen. But the devil will tell you two major things when you have a problem, a hardship, an affliction, a trial, a tribulation, even persecutions. He'll question your faith. He'll say, if you had more faith. You wouldn't be having these problems. And the second thing he'll do in your head when you're having a problem, a trial, a tribulation is you'll hear him say, if God loved you, why are you suffering this? We think the hardships of our lives is God's love for us on trial, not realizing the hardship of our lives is our faith and love for God on trial. God's love for you was tested 2,000 years ago. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God proved his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was tested and his love for you was tested at the cross. And I'm telling you, he passed. He endured a great fight of afflictions. Contradiction of sinners against himself. And he loved you so much. He died for all your sins. Securing your eternity. Even when you were still his enemy. God proved his love for me 2,000 years ago. Now when I'm going through a test and a trial. It's my love for God that's on trial. And the devil will throw everything at you. And his intent is to separate you from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. Everything that's happening to you, the scheme of the devil is to separate you from God. Get you to give up. Get you to give out. Get you to give in. Get you to quit running. And God has taught us better if we'll listen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. Aren't you glad you're justified by faith? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace... Wherein we stand. Faith is not something we have to get God to respond to us. I was literally taught, taught wrong, that faith moves God. Faith does not move God. Faith will move the devil. Faith will move a mountain. But if God hadn't already moved for you in grace, your faith won't move him. Everything God has, has been provided by this thing called amazing grace. 
And faith is our response to the grace of God that accesses that grace and brings it into our natural world. My faith isn't getting God to do anything. My faith has actions. So when I act on my faith, I'm simply receiving what grace has already provided. Amen. Sounds like we need to maybe stay a little longer. Hallelujah. Amen. Your faith is not moving God. Again, it'll move a mountain, Mark 11 says. It'll definitely move the devil. But if God hadn't moved in this thing called grace, you're not going to change his mind. You're not going to be able by faith to get him to do anything for you. He's already done everything for you that can be done by grace. And we access it by faith. Well, I'll let Andrew deal with that later. I got something else I need to say. That was supposed to be good news, but it kind of... We have access. Access to what? By faith into what? This grace. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. We glory in tribulation. Be honest. How many people have you met that when you say, how's your day going? Well, I just want to praise God because all hell has broke out. I just want to give God some glory today because every demon in hell has attacked me today. And I'm excited about what God's doing in my life. (laughs) But we glory. It is there. They're putting it up there. But we glory in tribulation also. Now, is this is this just that we're weird in the sense of quirky, goofy Crazy people that something really bad happens to us and we feel something and we just go, that felt so good. Somebody comes up and just slaps me on the one cheek. I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings. (laughs) Neither do you, Hot Rod. And yet we're supposed to have a response to that that isn't physical, that isn't of our emotions. He says that we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh what? How are we to run our race with? What does tribulation work? Notice he says that we glory in tribulation, knowing something, not feeling something. Bad stuff that happens to you will never feel good. Persecution will never feel good. Rejection will never feel good. Opposition to God's righteousness will never, ever feel good. We are giving God glory not because we feel something. We're giving God glory because we know something. So if you don't know this, you can't give God glory in tribulation. And your faith in time will go shipwreck. Look at it again. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. Experience is maturity of character. And experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. See, God's love in our hearts is not of us, from us, or part of our flesh. Love is of God. Love is not of your flesh. Love is not of this world. Love is of God. And the love we have in our hearts comes from the Holy Spirit, not from our emotions. 
Amen. Notice that we are able to glory in all this tribulation, all these hardships, because we know that hardship is working or developing our patience. And Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says that it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Patience is vital to your race. Patience is vital to receiving the blessings of God in your life. And what works it? Not praying. Praying doesn't work your patience. Tribulation works your patience. Let me just advise you under the radar here. We'll edit this out of the tape. Never pray for patience. (laughs) Worst mistakes I've made over the years is, Lord, give me patience. Bam, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) I'm not saying God broke hell loose. I'm saying that when you trust God, that faith gets tested and you have to endure a great fight now of afflictions. I shared that that this morning I can give God glory not because I feel something not because I'm faking it till I make it I truly can give God glory in all my tribulations because I know something I know that this is working patience it's developing my patience and my patience is going to develop my maturity of character I'm going to grow up I'm going to mature the track of maturity Involves tribulation. That's why you see so few mature Christians. You can't mature on the easy track. You mature with responding properly to hardship. To trials, tribulations, afflictions, and persecutions. And most of us have not been taught how to daily respond to any type of opposition, no matter what form it takes. And Paul is trying to encourage believers on how faith works. Let me give you three quick things if you're taking notes. Faith does not work independent of these three cooperative powers. And the Bible's clear on this. I'll be quick, but you could spend hours on this alone. Three cooperative powers, and they're all right there. Faith, number one, works in hope. You can't have faith Without hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. See, hope comes before faith. That's why church is so important. Good church culture is so important. Maybe you don't have enough faith to be healed today. And developed your faith in God's will to heal. Maybe you just were taught. God's even making you sick. On and on we could go. With the confusion people really do have. But you can have hope. And hope can come first. And faith works in hope. You can have hope to prosper. Even if you've been taught that prosperity is of the devil. There are people in the church that teach. Prosperity is not God's will. And that anyone teaching any form of prosperity is not of God. If that gets into your heart, you're going to have a hard time trusting God to prosper. But what if you got hope that maybe God's good enough to help you get a job? Maybe God's good enough to help you manage your finances better and teach you how to sow and reap and, and, and receive things and have possessions, but possessions never have you. Hope will come first. Maybe your marriage is not in a good place and you don't maybe have the faith right now 
for your marriage to be healed. But what about hope of a better marriage? It'll come first. And faith is the substance. Faith brings substance to the things hoped for. Hope is like a thermostat. We have a thermostat here. And how many of you know we set the thermostat? That's our hope. 70 degrees. But how many of you know the thermostat cannot work without those units outside? But the units outside won't work without the thermostat. So you have to set it on what you hope for. And the units outside bring substance to the room of what we hoped for. A lot of the Christian life is just learning how to hope big, how to dream, how to imagine how good God is. That's why we sing these songs to get your hope up and faith can bring substance to it. The second one is love, is love. God's faith in our hearts works by love. Galatians 5, 6 says it straight out. Faith works by love. Why do we keep telling you how much God loves you? Because the more you see how much God loves you, the more you trust him. Faith works by love. When you find out how much He unconditionally loves you, it's easy to trust Him. It's easy to jump when He says jump because you know He loves you. And I'm telling you, most Christians have no idea how much God loves them. They'll mentally ascend to it. Yeah, God loves me, but He doesn't love you enough to bless you. He doesn't love you enough to heal you. He doesn't love you enough to prosper you. He doesn't love you. They put qualifiers on how much God loves them. And I'm telling you, God's love is unmerited, unconditional, limitless. And if you saw it and as you see it, faith just explodes in your heart because faith works by love. And then the third cooperative power is patience. You have to learn patience or you'll give up. You'll give out. You'll give in and miss the manifestation Of God's plan for your life. And so those three things work together. And patience, again, is one of the primary ones. Go over to to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Everybody okay? James chapter 1. I know you're not shouting, but that's all right. At least you're not screaming. My brethren. So he's talking to Christians. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Look that up in any concordance. It's trials, tribulations. Count it all joy when you fall into these divers temptations. Look at the phrase. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? It works your patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and entire, wanting nothing. I just can't imagine what would happen to a church that would dare to believe that statement. Count it all joy when you fall into all these issues and hardships of life, not feeling something, but knowing something. What do you have to know in order by faith to count it all joy? And the reason you have to count it all joy is because no problem feels good. I was driving down the road the other day and I, I, I can't believe I just started to tell on myself. I had changed a wheel on my trailer and it was just a nightmare. Story's too long and I, I had to get some new lugs for it. And so I put the other lugs on just loosely. Uh, and I'm coming back and going to fix this later. And wouldn't you know it, God sends me on all these trips where I forget totally about what I did to the trailer. Yes, I blamed God. (laughs) 
so I come home, I grab the trailer and put a, I sewed a bathtub. It's just a long story. I gave it to a widow lady, a bathtub. Anyway, I'm going down the road and, and, and where I live, I live in the country. There's what we call Rooster Creek Bridge. It's a one lane bridge. And I'm on that one lane bridge. Thank God there was no car coming the other way. And all of a sudden I hear, bam, that trailer corner hit the, hit the road. And in my, in my side mirror, I see the tire catching me and passing me and going off into the lake. How many of you know, for that brief moment, I didn't feel good. And I had my wife in the car. And so now I can't change the story to what really happened. But what was so cool is both of us instantly, we didn't feel anything, but we counted it all joy in the sense of, thank you, God, nobody was hurt. Thank you, God, that this is going to be okay. Thank you, God, that you work all things together for my good. How are you going to work this out, Lord? I can't wait to see. But I do love you and I'm called according to your purpose. And God didn't do that. I did that. But God protected us. I know that it was cool to maybe not feel joy that instant. But both of us, our first response was thanksgiving to God. You don't get there overnight. Amen or oh me. But you've got to get there where you learn to count it. All joy, because I know something. This is going to work patience in my life, and boy, did it ever. And it's going to help me grow up a little bit and be more mindful of lug nuts. <laughs> on and on I could go with all the good things that did start to come out of it. He says, again, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trying of your faith worketh patience, and it's patience that perfects you, matures you. I was taught my whole life in church that trials and tribulations perfected us. If trials and tribulations perfected us, can you imagine how holy the church would really be? Amen. Trials and tribulations do not perfect you. They're not sent by God. They're sent by the devil to embitter you, to destroy you. And if you don't learn how to respond to God in faith, you will get bitter instead of better because of what they're designed for. While the devil has designed all this evil and attacks us with it, God has designed a response in faith that literally now helps you grow up. It helps you mature. Quit whining. What am I trying to say? I'm in a hurry now. Quit whining about all your problems and all your hardships and give God thanks. Learn to respond to God. Learn to know something. Lord, this hurts. I don't like it. It, it, I've said that so many times. Lord, this hurts. I don't like it. And it's not right. But I know this. That this is going to work my patience. And patience is going to run its course and bring about maturity of character in my life. Amen. And yet, it's as if we just draw a blank and refuse to do that. Notice again... It's our faith that's being tried. You didn't notice it. Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. 
Knowing this, that the trying of your faith. What is on trial when hardship hits? Your faith. Listen, that's why you always doubt when you get hit. You don't doubt when everything's going fine. But when the wife walks out, doubt. When the children jump off the cliff after you've raised them in church, doubt. Why does doubt always come when hardships strike because your faith is being tested? I'm not trying to be too deep here, but if you really do hear and will hear what I'm saying, the next time you doubt, you'll shout. Because guess what? I can't doubt till I believe. When you're in unbelief, you don't doubt. You only doubt when you believe. So your doubt is a sign you're believing. So keep believing and cast out your doubt. Amen. It's like every time I doubt now, I shout. I'm believing something. Because you can't doubt till you believe. And so I'm going to choose to believe only... And God, the author and finisher of my faith, is going to develop me in this. Trials do not perfect us. Faith and patience does. Trials do not perfect us. Submitting to God and resisting the devil in the trial perfects us. I'm going to say it again. Trials do not perfect us. James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God... Resist the devil and he will flee. There's some things that's God and you have to submit to it. And listen, there's some things that is the devil and you have to resist it. And so how do you grow? How do you mature? How do you run this race with patience? You learn how to immediately submit to God in whatever you're going through and resist the devil. And it's like spiritual weightlifting. Many people. Now, listen, I love you. But many people in hardship submit to the devil and resist God. And that's a recipe for disaster. You have to train and renew your mind to, okay, there's a problem. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not denying it. I'm not pretending it doesn't exist. I'm going to attack it. How do I do that? I submit to God and His Word and resist the devil and He will flee. That is so powerful. Years ago, we had a... A really bad thing happened in the church to a family. And uh, I need to be careful giving this testimony. But basically, she went into the hospital for a minor surgery and she died. And uh, a lot was involved in that. Well, obviously, it crushed the family. She had two little girls, active member in our church. And it, 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 it hurt me. It just hit me hard. And especially... The girls and just the pain. It, it was just terrible. And so I was dealing with personally dealing with it. And then I still have to minister to the family and encourage the family. And so it, it was really tough. And I don't know how this works. A pastor, I think we got a couple other pastors here maybe. Uh, they could attest to this. It's almost like in church culture many times, everybody's wagon wheel falls off at the same time. It's like, why can't you people have problems on Monday, Tuesday then, Wednesday, Thursday? And why can't you do it in working hours? 
And then why do you all have to have a meltdown at the same time? So we had a bunch of wagon wheels that had fallen off. And that was troubling me and bothering me. It was wearing me down. And I'm, I'm fighting this. Well, I live way out in the country. And I had all my kids with me, all four at the time. And, and we're going home. I'm already wrestling with all this. I've got the funeral in the morning. And I'm dreading it. I know that might sound strange coming from a pastor, but I'm dreading it. It's just breaking my heart. I know everybody else's heart is broken. I've got to overcome this to even speak. I won't be able to talk. I'll start crying. I know me. And so I'm really struggling and dealing with this. So I'm, I drive up into our driveway out in the country and my front door is wide open. So I sent Sue and the kids in there to check it out. <laughs> I'm kidding. (laughs) So I told Sue and the kids to stay in the car. Uh, I need to check this out. This is not good. The front door wide open. It's I forget what time it is, but it's late at night. It's got to be almost midnight. I had that fact straight. Almost midnight. And so this is not good. And so I'm I'm creeping up to the to the door and uh and, and I got a little foyer as you go through the door and you can see around the corner. You can see the living room and the kitchen. And so I'm, I'm kind of on edge and I'm looking around the corner and I'm trying to be careful. And, and I look around the corner and there is a 300 pound pig in my house. And when I looked around the corner, it saw me and it went... <clears throat> Well, it scared me. I jumped. And my oldest daughter had disobeyed and was behind me. And when I jumped, she jumped and screamed. So I jumped after jumping. It was terrible. I had not pulled the door evidently all the way closed. And that pig had come out of the woods and got up on my porch and and rubbed up against the door. And the door opened and all that air conditioner came out and... He thought he was in hog heaven. He, he had destroyed everything and rubbed mud on the furniture and on the fireplace. And I didn't take the trash out and I piled it up three or four bags. He strode all the trash all over the house. The only room he didn't go into was the boy's room. It was a pigsty. <laughs> I have never been angry like that in my life. I I exploded with anger. And Sue took the kids and went into the bathroom and and they were all laughing and that made me even madder. And so I'm I'm just enraged. There's this pig in my house. And now I'm opening the back door and it won't go out. It's not leaving. It was sitting in my recliner. Drinking a Snapple, watching the 700 Club. And it's not leaving. I can't get it to leave. Well, my oldest son, he's laughing so hard. He, he wants to be a part of this. So he's helping me now. We're trying to get it out of the house. And I've had it. And I just said, I'm getting my 243 with a scope and I'm killing this pig. I'm fixing to shoot it. Just kill it. And my oldest son, how old was he? Thirteen years old. He looks up at, up at me and he says, Dad, have you thought this out? <laughs> no, I haven't thought it out. 
because I bet I'd have shot that pig. It would have ran into my bedroom, climbed up in my bed and bled out <laughs> in my bed. So now what am I going to do? I get a pistol with rat shot. Everybody knows what rat shot is? So I can finish my story quickly. Rat shot? No. Rat shot is just in a pistol. It's like a shotgun uh, pellets in a little bitty bullet just to sting something like kill rats. It's, so it's called rat shot. So anyway, I fill my pistol up. Bam! I shot that pig and squealed and it wouldn't go out the door. Bam! I shot it again. It squealed and it went halfway out the door. Bam! I started chasing it. I looked like John Dwayne over the hill. Bam! I'm shooting this pig. Bam! And I drove that pig off my property. I was exhausted. I wasn't just physically tired. Listen to me. I was so mentally tired that I fell on the ground. Just literally almost passed out. Fell on the ground. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but... I. I just had thoughts of, do I even want to? I was so discouraged. Do I even want to live? And can you imagine how stupid that would have been? How the paper would have said the next day, stupid preacher tries to commit suicide with rat shot. (laughs) Now I got to get up. I got to go clean up this mess. We're looking at two, three o'clock in the morning. I got an early morning funeral. As horrible as that story is, Jeremy looked up at me, my oldest son. I was so angry. And when he said, have you thought this out? I said, no, no. I guess I can't shoot a rifle in the house and kill a pig. And then how we get it out of the house. And, and Jeremy looked up at me and said, Dad, one day you'll look back on this and laugh. I said, son, today is not that day. And if you want to live, you better shut your mouth. Now, today is that day. But guess what I discovered? I'm serious. That was a turning point in God's grace in my life. I discovered how grace is God's power in human weakness. I discovered that it's in our weakness that the grace of God abounds upon us. And I just turned to the Lord in the midst of all that and said, Lord, I'm done. I'm I'm out. I don't even know how I'm going to face tomorrow. And there was a grace that came on me. There was a power in my human weakness. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure, Jesus, in earthen vessels. Do you know God wants you to feel your weakness constantly so that you'll put confidence in Him and not yourself? I got a true revelation that without Him I can do nothing. I can't do this. Without God's grace. And there was a grace that came upon me that that funeral was one of the best funerals I'd ever done. I I received a peace and a comfort personally where I could give peace. You can't give what you don't have. I actually look back on this. And I'm not saying the pig was the last straw. But I was at a point of exhaustion that had I not known what I'm teaching right now and not done it. I don't know what could have happened to me. I was so discouraged. You have to learn, dear ones, that life is real. And there's a lot of things. Let me just muddy up the water a little bit more. There are some bad things that happen to us because we're just stupid. We've done a piece of stupid. We've done something and we created it. But listen, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens to good people that we don't understand. There's a lot of things that happen to us in this race 
that we didn't even sow to it. It's being in a fallen world. And if you don't learn how to trust God, how to allow patience to be developed, you won't finish your race. Paul wrote in Acts 14.22, listen carefully, he has returned from, from Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch. And that is where he was greatly persecuted and even stoned and left for dead. And he returns back to that area in Acts 14.22. And he's confirming all the souls of the people that got saved, trying to encourage the people that got saved. And he says, we, with much tribulation, will enter the kingdom of God. If you're born again, the kingdom of God is in you. But you're entering that kingdom, the rule of Jesus. And Paul said, with much tribulation, we shall enter the kingdom of God. If we think we're going to see great things, if we think we're going to be a part of this great awakening that has already begun and not have opposition, we won't be prepared to run our race. Paul told a young pastor in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he reminded Timothy, he says, you remember what happened to me at Antioch and Lystria and Iconium? That's where he was stoned again and left for dead. How many of you have been stoned and left for dead? Now, be careful how you answer that. I've had too many people come up to me and say, I've been stoned and left for dead. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being stoned with rocks and left for dead. Think about that. He got stoned and left for dead, not because he was politically correct. Amen or oh me. See, I'm telling you, the church is filled with people that have never read the Bible. They don't understand The Scriptures and the Kingdom of God and this opposition that's been here for thousands of years in this world. And he told young Timothy, remember what happened to me at, 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 again, Iconian, Lystra, Antioch? And then he says, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted, I love you, but you're not living very godly. Thank you for that thunderous applause. I don't want to end on a negative note, but some of you are looking at me like, we don't care if it's negative or positive, just end. I had to come to grips with this years ago. If you're not being persecuted and afflicted, it's because you're running parallel with the devil. This side isn't doing any better either. Pastor's on this side. Let's try one more time. If you're not being persecuted, you're not living very godly. These are the good ones, and you happen to be on my left. That's not the way Jesus taught it, but that's all right. Bottom line is, we don't understand at large opposition, and none of us want any. And after the flesh, I don't want any. I don't like being rejected like I get rejected. I don't like being persecuted. I don't like being lied on and attacked. Nobody likes that. You, you, none of us were created for rejection. This is why we do need to be sensitive to our black brothers and sisters in certain situations. They've experienced a greater degree of rejection than most of us, but rejection devastates all of us. And we have to learn how to trust God in those kind of things. Now, I'm going to I'm going to give you these scriptures and I'm going to ask them to put them up. Well, let's look at let's look at one of them, because this one's pretty good. All of them are great, but look at first Peter. Chapter 1, the 
first book of Peter, the Apostle Peter, chapter 1 deals with Christian suffering. Chapter 2 deals with Christian suffering. Chapter 3 deals with Christian suffering. Chapter 4 deals with Christian suffering. And chapter 5 deals with Christian suffering. You want to really get a good balance. It may take you a while to read that much, but read over and over it. This is where God showed me the difference between suffering things that Jesus suffered as a substitute for me and I don't have to suffer versus Jesus suffering as an example for me to follow. Paul said that he wanted to know Jesus, Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Doesn't that sound good? We all like that part. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. Jesus is still fellowshipping with us in our sufferings. Let me help you if you want help. When people go through the same problem... And they're suffering. Like, let's just, I'm trying to think of something maybe that hadn't happened to anybody, but that's kind of hard. So if this hits you at home, remember what I said this morning? Be cool. If, if you've gone through an unwanted divorce, that's painful. Surely you know somebody that's gone through an unwanted divorce. It's very painful. Then this other person in the church goes through an unwanted divorce and the pain is devastating for them. When those two people get together and fellowship in that suffering, they bond does that make sense? Yeah. Jesus is here. Jesus understands rejection. Jesus understands afflictions. Jesus understands doing the right thing and the wrong thing being done to you. And when you fellowship with him in that, you bond together. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let's just look at one here. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1 verse 6 for the sake of time. Verse 6. Wherein, boy, that's a terrible place to start. All right. Verse 4. To an inheritance. That's a terrible place to start. All right. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That's what happened to me with the pig is it was like manifold Temptation and it was so heavy on my heart. I was so discouraged I felt like quitting. Now look at this though. Verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire. Be honest. When a trial hits you, do you count that trial more precious than gold? Basically, we don't. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help us go, wait a minute, we've got to reevaluate this and we've got to learn what's really going on here. No matter how bad this feels, no matter what the world is screaming about, this trial is a fiery trial of my faith and it's more precious than gold. 
Why and how could it be more precious than gold? It's going to work my patience. And patience is going to have its entirety in my life. And I'm going to become mature, entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Man, that's powerful. I'm preaching myself happy. Though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor of the glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say some good things. Let me go to 1 Peter chapter 4. You said I could have a little extra time. This, this one's kind of one of my favorites. I was just going to leave it for you. Because everybody, when we read this, is going to identify. Now, look at verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he deals with suffering wrongfully for doing what's right. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he deals again with how we need to be happy. Understanding our happiness is rooted in eternity, not these temporal things. Chapter 4, he goes in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Isn't that exactly what we do? It's like, bam, something goes wrong. Your wheel comes off your trailer. Why is this happening to me? This is strange. People will serve God. They'll, they'll press in and something bad will happen. And again, they'll think it's strange. And the Bible says, why do you do that? Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which might try some of you. No, a faith that is not tried is not a Bible faith. Is, is to try you as though some strange thing have happened to you. But rejoice. <laughs> rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Partakers. You're sharing in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceedingly joy. For if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of. That's the world. But on your part, he is glorified. None of us would be persecuted if we didn't have Jesus in our heart and lives. The only reason you're being persecuted is people see God in you. They hate God. So they hate God in you. And you have to understand that. You don't hate back. You love people. You rejoice that, man, when I was serving the devil, I never was persecuted. Nobody ever said a bad thing about me. (laughs) You couldn't Google any bad thing on me when I was serving the devil. You go to serving God and you stand for righteousness in a very unrighteous world. And it's going to bug you when you go Google your own name. Amen. Well, I can tell you're excited about this message. Nah, I appreciate it. Let me close with this. Years ago, I had been teaching marriage seminar after marriage seminar. And you know, when you're teaching this stuff, you've got to act on some of it. Amen. You can't be teaching on, on marriage and, and, and the marriage relationship and not be acting on some of it. And so I had done a series of teaching on romance and how that romance was the atmosphere of, of marriage. And we'll just leave that there because we have young people here. But the bottom line, the bottom line is, man, I wanted to do something romantic for Sue. And it's hard to hard to figure out things like that at that time, especially. 
And so I knew that Sue loved a fireplace. And we've got this little bitty bedroom. And it's the same bedroom that that demonic pig would have bled out in. We don't live in that house anymore. Thank you, Jesus. But I decided to put a fireplace in the bedroom because I knew that would be romantic for Sue. And how many of you know, guys, you can you can bear witness to this. When you cut a hole in the ceiling, you're serious. This ain't running down to the store and buying earrings. This is serious. So we're cutting a hole in the in the ceiling. We're friend of mine is helping me put rock and we put this little white stove about about that big, about this square, gold trim, beautiful fireplace in the bedroom. And uh, when I bought the fireplace, they bought me all the utensils that go with the fireplace. And I'm from Orlando, Florida. I don't know nothing about a fire. I've never seen a fireplace. And so I'm not sure how to handle this. And so they sold me some pre-soaked logs. And they were three pound pre-soaked logs. And man, I'm telling you, after all that work, romance has kicked in. And I was ready for the kill. Hallelujah. It was awesome. I am on fire. And this is going to be the best night ever. Yeah, married people are supposed to think and talk like that. So this is the best night ever. And I want a fire and I want a good fire. So I put a three pound log in that little bitty fireplace in a small bedroom And I said, you know, I really want a fire. I put a second three pound log in there. Yeah, you know where this is going. And Sue warned me. This still makes me mad to this day. Sue warned me. Honey, I don't think you need two logs in there. Hey, this is my fire. This is my night. I want a fire. That's just a guy thing. And I left that puppy. And I had a fire. And that thing started growing. And the, the stove was turning red. And I had to open the vent before I blew the stove up. And the flames come flying out of that, going up the, the wall and to the ceiling. I'm about to burn the house down. I'm panicking. And uh, romance went right out the door. I am not a happy camper, and I used to have a big afro, and so I had this spray bottle that I'd just spray my hair, and it would just curl. I didn't even have to comb it. Just spray my hair, and it would curl. So I'd go get my spray bottle, and I'm spraying the fire. And I mean, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. It is not working. So then I decide, and Sue's laughing, that's making me mad, I grab the poker, And I try to put it out. And every time I'd hit those logs, how many of you know what happened? I ignited what they're soaked in, and it would go (laughs) bam. (laughs) Sue runs into the kitchen, gets water in a pitcher, and comes and just douses the whole fire and puts it out. Made me mad. Some of you are wondering, where is this going? In Exodus chapter 1, this is important, I'm closing. Exodus chapter 1, it says, The more they afflicted the children of Israel, the more they grew 
and multiplied. Pharaoh made a strategic error and afflicted God's people and the time of their deliverance had come. And the more he afflicted them, the more he beat them, they grew and multiplied. See, this new life that we have, dear ones, of Christ is in our spirit. The very glory of God. And what the devil to this day, because he's been stripped of all wisdom, does not understand. He struck the Son of God with the blow of death on the cross. Only to cause him to be buried and on the third day raised from the dead. And when he struck the seed of Abraham, when he struck the only Son of God... All it did now was multiply sons and daughters of God throughout the earth. When Satan afflicts you, persecutes you, tribulates you, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, is ignited on your behalf. And if you will just endure a great fight of afflictions, I promise you, you will multiply and you will grow. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for this church. I sense in my spirit a surge. I sense a growth coming. I sense your spirit moving and working, encouraging us to run our race. And that we are here by divine design on purpose for such a time as this. And that you're raising up a company of people that love Jesus with all their heart. That not only love Jesus, but Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? Thank you, Father. Those of us that call you Lord and mean it, we love your word. We don't just love you, Jesus, mystically. We love you and you are truth. And we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to truth in these last of the last days. I pray that we run with joy. That we run and be empowered by the amazing grace of God and endure any great fight of afflictions. I speak peace over this house. I thank you for this pastor and his wife. I thank you for the leaders. Lord, we don't want to be rude to people. We never want to be in our flesh offensive We love everybody. And it's our love for you and our love for people that drives us. To run this race. We care about people. We care about their eternity. We care about their lives. We care about them prospering. And accessing by grace. Through faith. All your provisions for us. We are blessed. And no matter what trial, tribulation, affliction, persecution comes our way. We're going to by faith know something. We know that our faith is being tested. It's being tried. And we're going to remain faithful in all of our hardships. We know that your love is not being tested in any problem we have. Our love is being tested. May we stay faithful until the end. Thank you, Jesus, that you began this in us. You are the author of our faith and you are the finisher of our faith. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Thank you.
Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.